Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. We have been working through this text of Scripture in somewhat of a different manner than we usually work through a text of Scripture, and that usually we go through verse by verse in order to understand uh, the argument as it builds and the text in and of itself. But over these last few weeks and even into next week as we begin our Advent season, uh, we are looking at this passage of Scripture somewhat topically. And the reason we're doing that is because uh, John here presents to us truths that we are to affirm and believe, and he does so in a way that draws our attention even out of the book of 1 John and look to look at his, or his gospel and other writings of the apostles and prophets as they attest to the person and work of Jesus Christ. So I trust that you've turned to 1 John this morning. Uh, and as you turn there, let us turn to the Lord one more time in a word of prayer as we ask the Lord to be with us in our time together this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your grace towards us. Not only that you give us many blessings for us to enjoy, but above all that you have given to us your holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. That we can know who you are this morning, not because you are a product of our imaginations, but because you have spoken to us, because you have revealed yourself to us, because you have revealed to us the nature and character of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we come this morning trusting and believing that which you have declared concerning him. And so, Father, may we take that from us, uh, from here this morning. May we declare it to all those whom we encounter. May our hearts even be encouraged to worship Him in light of it. We're so thankful for it. Would you give us an extra measure of attention this morning as we pay heed to your word? And it is in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Well, last time we were together, we began to take up this topic, as I mentioned, of who Christ is and what is the essence of His ministry and person. We began with a question last week, and it's a question that I'd like to remind us of this morning and is especially pertinent even as we anticipate the Advent season. And that question is this, who is Jesus? In just a week, we will be we will begin to consider the advent of this one, that is, Jesus the Christ. And so, as we take consideration of these things, it's somewhat of a preliminary discussion, preparing our hearts for the coming of the Holy One. Who is this Jesus that we worship every day of the week, and especially His advent during the Christmas season? Well, last week we learned that Jesus is the anointed one. He is the one to whom all those others anointed in the Old Testament, that is the prophets, priests, and kings, pointed to as the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. What we learned last week is that Jesus is the prophet. He is the priest. And He is the king. 
Now, in order for Jesus to fulfill these offices and to execute them with eternal effectiveness, Jesus must not only be the anointed one, but he must also be both God and man. You see, beloved, the nature of Jesus' offices are determined upon the nature of his person. And this is a critical point for us to understand. To diminish Jesus' person is to diminish his mission. If Jesus is not God, then Jesus cannot save. If Jesus is not God, then Jesus cannot perfectly and completely speak to us as a truthful prophet. If Jesus is not God, then he has not been raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father and is ruling over the nations and our hearts as a perfectly adequate king. And as well as if Jesus is not a man, then he cannot identify with those to whom he speaks, rules, and atones. Maybe you remember this distinction and importance as we worked through our New City Catechism. The New City Catechism, question 21, which you can find on the insert in your bulletin, says this. What sort of Redeemer is needed in order to bring us back to God? And the answer is one who is truly human and also truly God. Jesus must be both God and man in order to be an efficient king, prophet, and priest. And the Apostle John absolutely understands how important the nature of Jesus is to his ministry. And therefore, he affirms for these first century believers, as well as for us this morning, that Jesus is not only the anointed one, but what makes him the anointed one is that he is both son of God and son of man. And as we saw that Jesus is the anointed one, even from the text of Scripture that we considered last week, we also see this morning that Jesus is the Son of God from 1 John chapter 20, verses 20 through 24. And so I trust that you have your copy of God's Word open this morning to 1 John chapter 20. Let us read the text this morning within its context beginning in verse 20 and going all the way down to verse 24, as we see this morning that John establishes for us that Jesus is the Son of God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 says this, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. 
Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will remain or abide in the Son and in the Father. What Jesus does for us in this text is establishes the essential nature of Jesus' person so that we might be confident in His anointing. And what we learn from John chapter 1, verse 2, especially in verses 22 and 23, is that Jesus is the Son of the Father. Or to say it another way, Jesus is the Son of God. If you're following along in the insert in your bulletin, that is your second fill in there. The first being Jesus is the anointed one, which we covered last week. And this week, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. Notice it, verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. What I want us to notice first thing in our text is something that we noticed even last week. That this term Son has a definite article attached to it. Jesus is not a Son of God. He is the Son of God. Jesus is not one of many. He is the only one. Jesus and Jesus alone holds the rights to this term. John will later say in 1 John 4, verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. What we learn in our text this morning, beloved, is that Jesus is the Son. The reason we can be sons and daughters of God the Father is because we are connected again to that One who is the only Son of God the Father. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Romans 8.29 For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He, that is Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. We are sons and daughters of the great King because Jesus is the Son of the Father. And what exactly does it mean this morning for Jesus to be the Son of the Father? 
And where might we turn in order to fully understand what the Scripture presents to us as Jesus as the Son of God? Well, notice what John says for us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 24. John essentially answers this question for us. Where might we go to know who Jesus Christ is in His person? Notice, John says in verse 24, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. John says here that Jesus is the Son of the Father, and this is a truth that you have heard from the beginning. Now even as we saw last week, John has used this terminology before. Remember it back in 1 John chapter 1, at the very outset of his gospel, or I'm sorry, of this epistle, where he says in 1 John chapter 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Verse 4, we are writing these things to you so that your joy may be complete. What we notice is that the source of their confidence was the writings of John as he gave eyewitness to the realities and person of Jesus Christ. What John does here for this audience, and even for us this morning, is he directs our attention to that first account that John wrote in order for us to know and understand who Jesus is. And therefore, what I would like to do this morning is to direct our attention there as well. What we will seek to do is to establish Jesus' personhood as we work through the express statements of John through the gospel. And so if you would, in your Bibles, turn with me to first, or, I'm sorry, to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. And as we work through these passages, the first thing that I want us to see, if you are following along in the insert in your bulletin, is that Jesus is equal with God in essence. Jesus is equal with God in essence or in being. And John starts off right off the bat in his gospel to explicitly declare this monumental truth at the very beginning of his eyewitness accounts. I trust you've turned to John chapter 1. Notice with me verses 1 through 5. Where John says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jump down to John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word, that is the Word that was God and was with God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. At the very outset of John's testimony of the person of Christ, he establishes firmly that Jesus was God, that He was with the Father, and that He is a Son of the Father, full of glory, grace, and truth. But John isn't the only one who gives testimony to the person of Christ. Not only does John the Apostle declare this, but also John the Baptist. Notice John chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. He says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Jump down to verse 19. And this is the testimony of John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Jump down to verse 32. And John bore witness I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Verse 34, And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. What we notice throughout this text is that John the Baptist does not waver concerning his declaration of Christ. He does not hedge his bets here, but puts all of his money on Jesus as the Son of God. But it wasn't only John the Apostle, and it wasn't only John the Baptist that attests to Jesus as the Son of God. It was also the rest of his disciples. Listen to Nathanael's proclamation in John chapter 1, verse 48. Where it says, Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now notice two things that we've seen already in these texts. Both that Jesus is the Son of God, but that those terms and that personhood is connected to His work as both prophet and king. But it's not only John the Apostle or John the Baptist or Nathaniel 
that declares Jesus as the Son of God. It's also Peter and that most famous confession that we find in John chapter 6, verse 66 through 69. Turn there with me if you would. John chapter 6, verse 66 says this. I love to hear those pages of the Bible turning as you follow along with me and read with me. John chapter 6, verse 66 says this. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This account in John chapter 6, verse 66 is told similarly by Matthew and maybe the most famous confession of Jesus' Messiahship throughout the whole of the Gospels. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. I'm sure you are familiar with it, but you can find it on the insert in your bulletin. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 says this, When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Notice again Peter's confession, but also the close connection between Christ being the Son of the living God as well as the Anointed One. And so we have seen that John the Apostle declares Jesus to be the Son of God. That John the Baptist declares Jesus to be the Son of God. That Nathaniel and Peter declare Jesus to be the Son of God, but it's not only them that declare it, it is also Martha who declares Jesus to be the Son of God as she considers the work of Jesus in raising her dying brother. Turn with me, if you would, over to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 24. It says this, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Verse 27. And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, if any of you know anything about first century Judaism and the cultural context in which this declaration is spoken, you know that this confession from Martha is monumental. Not only does the prophets and the apostles speak to the sonship of Christ, but also Martha here 
declares that Jesus is the Son of God. And it is no wonder, beloved, that John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 21, that I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and no lie is of the truth, therefore abide in the truth. John expressly declares, he firmly establishes throughout his gospel account that all of these individuals attest to the reality of Jesus as the Son of God. Now some at this point might say, well that's all fine and dandy, but what about Jesus? Does Jesus ever claim to be the Son of the Father? And the answer is yes, absolutely. Now, beloved, this is important for us to establish because there are some false religions, even today, who claim that Jesus himself never actually confessed to be the Son of God. Instead, they purport that this title was given to Jesus after the fact, but it's never anything that Jesus actually says himself. Now, obviously, this argument is absolutely false. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. And the only reason to put doubt into that claim is in order to diminish his person and to make him a mere man, which many throughout the centuries and history have sought to do by explaining away some nuance of a text or of Jesus' personhood. But beloved, what we see in the Gospels is that Jesus unequivocally claims to be the Son of the Father, and not only this, but also claims to be one with God. We notice this in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verses 22 through 33, if you would turn there with me. John chapter 10, verses 22 through 33 where we see Jesus himself claim to be the Son of the Father and to be equal or one with God. Verse 22, At that time the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. This is after many miracles that Jesus has done and many claims that he is the Messiah. Verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will be able to snatch them out of my hands. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of 
the Father's hand. Notice how Jesus' hand and the Father's hand are one and the same. And he declares that explicitly in verse 30. I and the Father are one. Notice with me, beloved, the response of the Jews in verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. From which of them do you stone me? And the Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Two things that we must notice in this text. The first is that Jesus absolutely claims to be the Son of the Father and equal with God. And the reason why we know this and John makes this absolutely clear is because the response of the Jews is to stone Him. For what? For blasphemy. Because Jesus Himself is making Himself equal with God. Notice it again with me in verse 25. Jesus says, the works I do in my Father's name. And He says again in verse 29, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And then that clincher in verse 30. If you had any doubt to what Jesus was saying in verse 25 or verse 29, He makes it abundantly clear in verse 30, I and the Father are one. And the Jews understood. Beloved, would you understand this morning that Jesus here is claiming unequivocally to be the Son of God and therefore equal in essence and being with God? And if you encounter anyone who tries to diminish this fact or even to deny it, you come directly to John chapter 10. Where do you go? John chapter 10. And you show them that Jesus claimed to be the Father and that the Jews understood exactly what He was saying. There is no doubt, beloved, that Jesus was the Son of God, therefore equal with God and essence in and of Himself, being truly God of truly God. Now, beloved, by this time we have seen that the prophets have affirmed Jesus as the Son of God, that the apostles and Martha and even Jesus Himself claim to be God's Son, and indeed He was. And therefore, whatever theology you have concerning Jesus, you must take into account that Jesus absolutely is God's Son and therefore equal with God in essence. The Son and the Father are one. But there's something else in this passage that Scripture demands of us. Not only is Jesus the Son of God, making Him equal with God, but He is also the Son of the Father, making Him distinct from the Father in person. If you're following along in the insert in your bulletin, that, your, that is your letter B fill-in. Not only is Jesus equal with God in essence or being, but Jesus is distinct from the Father in person. 
Jesus is distinct from the Father in person. Now that we've worked through the Gospel of John, let us turn back over to 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, our primary passage. And what I want you to notice in this text is how careful the Apostle is to distinguish the Father from the Son. 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, John begins to explain the truth that we must affirm, and he separates God the Father from God the Son with the Greek conjunction chi. Notice it with me, where we see it translated both and and also in our English translations. 1 John chapter 2 says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. That Greek conjunction, chi, which translates for us in the English words and and also, shows that these are two distinct persons with the same essence. There is the Father and the the Son. There is the Son and the Father. The Son is not the Father, and yet if you have the Son, then you have the Father also. Furthermore, if you have the Father, then you also have the Son. But the Father and the Son are two unique and distinct persons who are of the same essence. They are not two entities or two demonstrations or manifestations or forms of the same being, but they are one being with two distinct persons. Jesus is God, but He is not the Father. And the Father is God, but He is not the Son. In addition, the Spirit is God, but He is neither Father nor Son, and vice versa. This is absolutely the proper order of things, and we should never seek to separate them or mix them in any manner. Beloved, we must affirm this morning that there are three persons in the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one God, the same in substance, eternally equal in power and glory. It was the year 325 A.D. And the teachings of a bishop from Cyrene named Arius was beginning to spread throughout the Christian world. And this teaching held by this false teacher was that Jesus was a son created by God the Father. And that he was created in 
eternity and therefore was not eternal himself. The teaching was a synchronization of some of the pagan religions and therefore it was much easier for the pagan world to swallow. Regardless, Arianism had caught the attention of many of the bishops in the early church and was causing much strife and division. Therefore, the first church council in Christendom was called in the town of Nicaea, modern-day Turkey, in May of 325 A.D. And there were about 318 churchmen and church leaders who joined together to settle this issue of the person of Jesus Christ. Among those was the church father Athanasius, who had a particular distaste for Arius and the doctrine which he was promoting. And over the span of about three months, the bishops talked and hashed out the proper nature of Jesus Christ. And during that process, there were many who sought compromise, but Athanasius would not allow it. And he fought for the full deity and humanity of Jesus Christ. And because of his boldness and courage and his willingness to stand up and fight for Christ's deity, we have the Nicene Creed, which has been accepted by the church worldwide for two millennia. It's a creed that we have recited even together on Communion Sunday. And it's one, beloved, that I would like to cite again this morning in unity. As we all as a church affirm this morning the person and work of Jesus Christ in the fullness of his deity, equal with God in essence, and yet distinct from the Father in person. You can find the confession or the creed on the insert in your bulletin. And so what I'd like you to do is pull that bulletin out. And what I would like for us to do this morning is to recite this together in harmony, even as it was intended to be recited. Say with me this morning, beloved, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. 
and His kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And all God's people said, Amen. Now some may ask, does this really matter? Should we really be unified in this matter? And the answer is absolutely yes. And there are men who have died in order to stand up for the reality of Jesus Christ because they understand that to diminish Christ's person is to diminish the effectiveness of His work and sacrifice. That question 23, which is a follow-up to question 21 in the New City Catechism, asks this, Why must the Redeemer be truly God? That because of His divine nature, His obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective. And also that He would be able to bear the righteous anger of God against sin and yet overcome death. Beloved, it absolutely matters that Jesus this morning is the Son of God, equal with God in essence, yet distinct from Him in person. Because if Jesus is not God, then His death for our sins is not adequate. If Jesus is not God, then there is no acceptance of His sacrifice. If Jesus is not God, then there is no resurrection or exaltation. But hear this, beloved, and believe this morning. Jesus is God. Jesus' sacrifice is is sufficient. And if you are here this morning and you believe and trust in what Jesus has done in the, on the cross because He is absolutely God and bore the wrath of God for our sins, then you too can be saved. Amen? And so believe it and worship Jesus as He rightfully deserves, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God in the flesh. Let's pray together. Father, what a glorious truth this is for us to embrace this morning and to consider. Father, would you impress it upon our hearts? May we take it away this afternoon and reflect on the reality of Jesus Himself being God and having eternal fellowship with the Father. What a glorious truth even that is. One that we do not have time to explore this morning, but I pray that you would impress it upon the hearts of your people. And that as we take these truths away and the many implications that attend to them, Father, that we would worship you as you rightfully deserve. That as we know you more, we would love you and delight in you more. What a glorious truth this is for us to declare this morning. And we do so with confidence because of your word. And it is in his name we pray.
Would you stand with us now as we sing our song of response for the beauty of the earth? In Psalm chapter 95, verses 1 through 6, we read, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. 